Hey folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Building Law. I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and this is the show where we build an entire campaign for you from scratch. This season, we're building our campaign for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, and this week we were supposed to start narrowing down the focus of our build to get things ready to start creating the playable part of our campaign. But we ran into a few problems on the way to the forum, as it were. As I started working up that narrowed focus, I started running into a ton of issues with how to place huts, homes, and a small starting dungeon for our group to work through to get them about a level's worth of experience and a few goodies worth of gear. So we're going to call an audible and do something a little different for this week's show. Now, before we get to that, we need to get to a piece of unfinished business from two weeks ago. When we closed the show, we didn't have a name for the country. I took a couple of emails and DMs from our listeners into consideration, and I also did some research on my own to come up with a name, and the name for our country is Corto Maltesi. It sounds a little Italian, I kind of like it. So we've got that covered. We're going to have to come up with some provincial names, some city names, the name of the capital, as well as the name of the emperor and his sons, but those are things we've got some time to deal with, so while we'll put them on the board as to be determined, we don't need them immediately. I also need to clean up a few things that I left on the table from last week's character creation episode. So after swearing I'd do a better job this season of not making so many mistakes in episodes, I didn't get through the second episode without screwing up, so nice job. I mentioned when I was talking about having a session zero that while I really thought you needed to have one, if you didn't have the ability to do so, there was a workaround. And while I said I'd get to it, I don't think I was really clear about what that was, even though I think I sort of hinted at it. So let me clear that up while I've got a minute. And there are two answers depending on which way you're doing your character sheets. If you're using D&D Beyond, you can handle the Session Zero stuff in the details when you set up your character campaign. Instead of putting in the details of what the campaign is about, you can put the restrictions in there. Conversely, you can also send out an email to your group going into full details about what is and isn't allowed. The ability to check over the character sheets in the D&D Beyond system before the first game also gives you the ability to go back and tell your players to make the needed changes, so you've got that advantage as well. Now, if you're using paper character sheets, you should really be doing a session zero, since if you're like me, you don't let your players keep their own sheets. However, if you're a DM who doesn't mind if they do, then you have the same option that the D&D Beyond users do. Send out an email letting your players know what is and isn't allowed. You are going to have to make arrangements to meet with your players and check out the sheets individually prior to the start of the first game, unless you're willing to delay the start of the first session. But if you don't mind the wait, then I don't mind either. There's one more thing I missed last week, so let's hit that before we get into this week's build, as it were. And it's specific to the D&D Beyond users. I know I gave a specific background for our players in this campaign, but I didn't tell you how to physically add it to D&D Beyond so your players can use it. When you go to the pull-down for backgrounds, there's a specific entry that says Background, Custom, and it gives you the ability to add it there. So that's where you plug in the information that I provided last week. You can save it, and that'll give your players the ability to access it. All right, so that's all the corrections I've got from last week's episode, and I will try to do better this week. 
it does annoy me that I let that much stuff slide through the proofreading process. Okay, so if we're not narrowing our building focus, then what exactly is it we're going to do this week? I gotta be honest, with my back against the wall on the deadline, and I mean, I am literally recording this like Thursday evening, and this sucker's gotta be up in like three hours. So I'd actually considered not even having an episode this week, but I've had way too many instances where this has cropped up over the years. So here's what I decided to do. I decided let's expand on the concept of the session zero. And I know I've covered this before on role-playing history, and I think I've dropped some of the pieces of the knowledge that I'm dropping today in different sections over different podcasts over the last two years and change on this show. But I've reorganized and revised my thoughts over the process of this over the years. So I thought, let's take all these thoughts, let's put them all together, and let's put them in one place. Since my back's against the wall today, let's do it this way. Let me give you some knowledge, and let's get to it. Now, I mentioned last week that there's a large majority of old school gamers that aren't really fond of the Session Zero. And really, that's because Session Zero is a concept that's really only cropped up over about the past 20 years or so. Now, I'm not saying that that's because the idea of getting together to create characters has only been around for about 20 years. That idea is as old as D&D is. But creating characters is not all that a Session Zero is intended to be about. So if creating characters isn't the entire point, then what is? Well, let's back up and cover the entirety of a Session Zero. And before we do that, I wanted to let you know that I'm going to be going mostly over what my group does for Session Zero. I am going to be adding some things that I've seen online and some of the Facebook groups I'm in that other groups do, and some things I've read in other articles and and from other posts I've seen. I am going to make it a point to note what those things are as I get to them. Obviously, you don't have to do any or all of these things, but I am going to try to give you an idea of what's what in case you want to do it. Session zero should begin with the GM laying out the background and concept of the game itself. In the case of our campaign, a lot of that info is going to come from what we laid out during the first episode of this season. There is some additional information that we're going to want to put in there. It's going to probably be a couple more weeks before we get to that. And it's going to be pretty obvious what that info is going to be as we build it out. There are a number of different ways you can present this information. I've done it in more of a Cliff Notes version. And for those of you who are too young to remember what Cliff Notes is, just do a a Google search. I'm not stopping right now to explain what those are. Now, my buddy Jim, he likes to write stuff out and do it as more of like a monologue or a narrative. And he's not the only one I've ever seen do it. And I do have to admit, it's a pretty darn entertaining way to do it. I've read accounts online of folks who've written up their backgrounds and either emailed them to their players or printed them off to hand to their players when they show up for session zero and then given them the time to read over them. I've heard of GMs who've actually like f- shot them on on uh, their phones or, or cameras or whatever and played them on a screen or gotten other people that they know to like act them out. There's a dozen different ways to do them. Whichever one would work for you, do it that way. By the way, I think I've actually printed them out on paper or sent them out in email form before as well. So no right or wrong way to do it. And regardless of how you present it, it's usually a good idea to give the players an opportunity to ask questions if they have any before you proceed into character creation. Obviously, you don't want to get too deep into the questions 
because you're pretty much always going to have at least one player trying to to weasel in and find an advantage that they can use so they can figure out what kind of character they're going to want to create to maximize their success in the campaign. But that's the kind of thing you're going to have to kind of get the feel for as it goes along. So typically the next step in session zero, character creation. We just went into like tons and tons of detail last week. We'll bypass that, go to the next subject. And so I know what you're thinking. We covered what the background of the campaign is. We created characters. What else is left? There is something that a number of groups do during session zero that can save you a lot of time when you actually start the campaign. Figure out why and how the group got together in the first place. Now, there is a caveat to this. I mean, if you're starting the campaign with the group not all together, you're probably not going to do something like this. For that case, though, you've got your reasons. Maybe the various characters have been arrested. What were they arrested for? How long have they been in? Were a couple of them working together? Heck, were they working together as a group when they got arrested? If that was the case, how long were they working together? That then leads to getting into a bit of group history, which if the group really wants to get into it, gives the opportunity to determine whether they've got a bit of a name in the world or not. But there's also the case where it's mostly single characters in a spot at a time, or maybe a pair. This makes things a bit more difficult as you need to determine who is where. And this is why having the first few sessions of your campaign fully sketched out before you do the session zero is crucial. I mean, it's possible that one of the characters got arrested and is set to be hanged in the morning, while another of the characters was hired by someone to free him just as the hangman does the deed, while another of the group is watching the whole thing go down, and so on and so on. Somehow, you need to determine how this group gets together, and this gives you an opportunity to work with the group to figure this out. Yes, it may be that you and the group sort of role-play the early part of the game out, and there are those who absolutely hate this, But if it's something you'd like to do, that's certainly okay. But it's also something that doesn't have to be done. Going back to starting with the entire group already together and having been together for a bit, we have some of the same options we discussed moments ago. What makes this easier is that since we know the group's been together, they start from the position of being able to provide the history of when they met, which can be a rather humorous story. What was the job or mission that brought them together? How did that go? Why did they decide to stay together? What job or jobs have they done since that really stand out? What are their motivations to adventure together? What does each character see their role in the group being? It's things like these that can really help with the player finding their voice in the game itself, and it can help the GM in finding opportunities for that player to have their individual moment or moments during the campaign to shine. So far as the majority of us are concerned, this is the typical end of a session zero. Standard wisdom and procedure states that you end the session here and begin the campaign at the next session. And typically doing all of these things takes up the entirety of the time most groups would set aside for a game session, if not a bit more. So it makes sense to end the night here. Oh, and even though I shouldn't have to say it, let me say it anyway. Treat session zero like a regular game session. Bring your snacks, respect the GM, wait to be acknowledged to speak, and so on and so on. Now, if your group has more relaxed rules, go with that. But session zero shouldn't be a free-for-all because that can take what's supposed to be the organizational evening and turn it into a goat rope. And if you don't know what that is, look up FUBAR or SNAFU. And if you don't know what those are, 
I can't help you. Now, I have read some accounts from groups who've managed to churn through their Session Zero materials fairly quickly and have chosen to begin their campaigns the same night. While there are those who call that a no-no, I don't have an issue with it, so long as your entire group is okay with it and so long as you're ready to do it as a GM. And I cannot stress that enough. Do not let your group talk you into starting the campaign if you're not ready. If you need the time to make sure you're ready to go, grab a board game or a card game or find a movie for the group to watch. Don't start a game you're not ready to play just because they bug the crap out of you to start. I've done that more than once and the results aren't pretty. And that's the basis of a session zero. But I'm looking at the runtime for the show to this point, And while I could end it here, that would be way short. And I don't want to do that. Besides, I realized that as I was covering session zero, that there's something I mentioned in there that some of our less seasoned gamers might be curious to know about. And I know that because it's a question I see frequently in a number of the groups I'm a part of on Facebook and other social media sites. What kind of rules does your group follow on game nights? And I guess I should clarify that by stating that by rules, I mean, what kind of rules does the table and players follow? For example, my group has a fairly basic set of rules. When the GM is speaking, keep any side conversation to a minimal if there needs to be any at all. Avoid overlapping conversation during character interaction in order to avoid misunderstandings later. The GM is typically responsible for acting as the traffic cop on that second one, though. Restroom breaks and snack grabs take place typically once every 90 minutes or so, but if you really need to go, obviously don't sit there and wet yourself, just don't make a distraction out of it. Stay off electronic devices while the game's going on, unless of course we're playing D&D and you're using D&D Beyond. Now, we do have these rules, but I do have to admit that we rarely, if ever, actually use all of them. We've tried to get better about them, especially since we've got 8 players plus a GM, But we say we're going to do it, and we do good for about one or two sessions, then we fall back into the old habits, and everything seems to go all to hell. For me, everything that goes into setting up game rules and policies starts with where you're playing and how you're setting things up. I'm serious about that. There's a difference between sitting around the kitchen or dining room table and sitting around in the living room using whatever surfaces you can find to play on. And that's going to be different than like everybody logging in on Roll20 or Discord or whatever online system you're using. So it's very important to take into account where and how you're setting up. And obviously the location and number of bathrooms are going to play into that as well as the location of the snacks and the beverages. By the way, that's another thing that has to be decided before the session starts. Do we all bring snacks for the collective to share? Do we bring meals for ourselves and no snacks? Do we bring something to eat for ourselves and snacks to share? Do we bring snacks then take a meal break? There's tons of options and those need to be agreed on before the session and everybody needs to be on the same page to avoid confusion. In our group, it's understood that if you're eating a meal, you bring it to eat before the game starts and you bring snacks to share. That being said, we've got a couple of players who get there later and they either bring their meal with them to eat during the game or they have food delivered while the game is going on. This has been a long established agreement, so we don't have issues with it. Your group might not agree, so again, make sure you've got it all worked out. In past years, our group actually took a break to either make a food run or cook together and eat as a group, but those were the days before we all had kids, so it was a lot easier to do that. Seating arrangements are something to take into account as well. I mean, like I said, we've got nine people to deal with. 
Needless to say, you're not going to find very many tables that can accommodate that large of a group, plus all the dice, plus all the books, plus all the, you know. Scott's house, while it's a rather large house, just isn't set up for us to be able to shove a couple of large tables end to end to get the job done. Plus, to be honest, I don't think his wife would necessarily appreciate us doing that, even though she's pretty agreeable to almost everything else we do when it comes to moving things around for game night. So we wind up taking over her living room. Even with that, we tend to not have enough seating. So one or two of our players wind up sitting at the kitchen table, which works since they have an open concept living room and kitchen. The GM gets a fold-out table that's set up on one end of the living room. Everybody else takes up couches and floor space, and we make it work for the game. Your own space availability and group size might necessitate other layouts, so make sure you've got that worked out before you start. In fact, that's something to work out during your session zero, and I'd suggest you hold the session zero in the same location you intend to play the games at, so you can do that very thing. It gives you the chance to have sort of a walkthrough of how things are going to work on game night, so you can test how things will go. Also, check to see what snacks and beverages work for your gamers. Do you have folks with allergies? Are alcoholic beverages a no-go? Again, these are things that need to be decided on before the first game. And I would suggest that if alcohol is going to be allowed, that it only be allowed in moderation. I would also suggest that the GM not partake. Needless to say, I tried running a game on New Year's Eve in 1999 after having way too many beverages and it didn't end well. And that's all I'm going to say about that. For groups that are going to try to game either exclusively online or have some members joining in online, Session Zero is a good time to get the kinks worked out with connections as well as get the ground rules worked out. In fact, it's probably even more critical to get the ground rules established in these cases since crosstalk and things like that are harder to deal with than they are in person. Now, there is an advantage to playing online that you don't have in person, and that's the ability to have private chats between players, so the ability to communicate without disrupting the in-game discussion is available. The downside is that the players having those chats are probably not fully engaged in listening to what is going on, so again, make sure the ground rules are clear. There should also be clear guidelines about timing on restroom breaks and such, but they probably don't need to be quite as long as when everybody is together in the same place since each person will be in their own house or should be in their own house and therefore will have access to their own bathroom, their own food, and their own beverages, which should cut down on the amount of time it takes to get things taken care of. But that's up to the group. My group also discovered during the pandemic when we played online that we got a lot more gaming done when we played online because we had to pay attention to each other and the game and we're far less distracted by our surroundings. So if this is your preferred method for gaming, maybe you've got the advantage here. Getting back to the in-person game group one more time. I'm not saying you need to have a Sheldon Cooper sized list of rules, regulations, and policies in place for your group that would cover any and all possibilities. After all, game night is supposed to be fun. All I'm saying is that there should be a few guidelines in place to rein in the chaos from being mass chaos to minor chaos. That being said, if your group tends to go way off the rails and needs more rules, you go with that. If you've got a group that's really good about self-policing, then don't worry about putting rules in place. Okay, so we've covered session zero and we've covered table rules. I've still got a decent chunk of time left in the show, so I thought I'd address another topic that's come up in a couple of emails and DMs I've gotten both on this show and on role-playing history, and it concerns 
maps and terrain. (laughs) The first comment somebody mentioned is that my maps suck. My response was, I absolutely agree, and I have never tried to say they don't. Look, map making has never been my strong suit, and I encourage anybody who downloads one of my maps to take it and alter it to be as nice and pretty or fancy as you would like it to be. In my game, I use them more as an outline to get my group to where I need them to be. From there, I try to get more specific in the detail of where they are. In the past, it's been more about the theater of the mind than anything else. And if you've listened to some of my campaign postmortems, you know that I've messed even those up. This season, I do intend to work on that as well, which is why I called the Audible this week. Now, insofar as terrain, I really think the folks that were asking me were referring to dungeon terrain since they were asking D&D specific questions. And I think they were referring to my comments about us doing some subterranean adventuring this season. So I think rather than doing maps when we go underground, I'm thinking about doing something a little bit different. I picked up a program about a year or so ago that allows you to print off dungeon pieces like walls, floors, doors, etc. Then you can glue them to styrofoam, attach them, and use them like those dungeon module pieces you can buy at your local game shop. I mean, I'd love to buy those professional pieces, but I am not made of money, and my wife would probably shoot me if I even tried to shell out the cash I'd need to get enough pieces to build a decent-sized dungeon. Now, I'm probably going to have to draw up some maps so that you'll have references to build from, and I will probably share the website and product name for what I'm using. But I'm also planning to try to shoot a YouTube video showing how to use the product to actually build a piece or two to see how it works. Note that I used the word try here. Typically, when I do a project like this, it looks like a monkey working a math problem, so it could get really interesting. So we might be better off linking to the manufacturer's website for their video, but we'll get to that at some point. I'm also planning on doing a miniature painting video as a companion piece to that, because if we're using real terrain pieces, we're going to need real minis. That being said, there are also workarounds for that, and I'm also planning to do a video explaining what some of those are. The plan is to get that worked up, and I will let everybody know when those are posting. Of course, if you subscribe to the Bad GM YouTube channel and click the bell for updates, you will get alerts when new videos drop, so you'll know it before I announce it. Now, granted, these days most of the new stuff happens to be the podcasts that drop the week after the initial release, but my New Year's resolution was to start doing more YouTube-specific videos, so we will be getting some new stuff up starting in February. So we've covered session zero, group rules, terrain, and minis. I think we've got you set for what you'll need when you're ready to go. That means we need to actually get some stuff built so we can actually start building scenarios. That means I need to get the jumble of stuff in my head unjumbled and get to it. And we will do that next week. Eh, I didn't use the entire half hour, but I got a heck of a lot further than I thought I was going to get. So not bad overall. In the meanwhile, check out Role Playing History. This week we're covering the Advanced Gaming Engine. Role Playing History is available wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, badgmproductions.net. The theme music for Bad GM's campaign build along is Savage by Alex Productions on sound.eu forward slash. Check out the info box for this week's episode for the full credit. 
Bad GM's Campaign Build Along is a production of Bad GM Productions. We are all over social media, so check out the website or the info box for this week's episode to see where you can follow us and follow us to see what we're up to next and so that you can let us know what you'd like to see us do next. Speaking of next, next week I'm going to do what I promised you I'd do this week and narrow the focus down to where we're starting the campaign. Until then, I'm the Bad GM Wayne Davis and I'll see you at the game table.